Well, hey there, folks, and welcome to episode number 29 of the Just Asia podcast. My name is Kevin O'Shea. I am an expat living in Malaysia. I'm a Canadian living in Penang, Malaysia. Um, I moved here in August of 2023, but before that, I lived in China for six years, Japan for almost 10 years before that, and South Korea for five years. I've been all over the place. And one of the things that I've always loved about living abroad is the fact that I meet so many fascinating local people everywhere I go, and I meet so many interesting expats. Now, if you don't know the term expat, that's essentially someone, an expatriate citizen, someone who is living in a country that is not from that country. Now, it's been a long time, everyone. I apologize. The last time I uploaded an episode of the Just Asia podcast was on October 23rd. Well, I'm back. Um, I have to admit, I was focusing a lot on my other podcast, the uh, Supernatural Japan podcast, which is all about spooky things in Japan, weird, quirky history, all that stuff. Oh, well, you know. Um, So I've been over there at the Supernatural Japan podcast, but here I am again, back in the Just Asia podcast with a fantastic conversation with Dave in Osaka. Dave is one of the OG of live streaming before the term nuisance streamer ever hit the ground, and we don't like that at all. It's uh, That's an issue. It's not something we talk about in this episode, but if you do follow Japan things, there have been a lot of a-holes um, who've been coming over from different countries, uh, the States. Uh, there was a Cypriot guy recently um, who came to Japan and a lot of others who are coming to Japan, a lot from Korea too I've been seeing, um, who basically just been doing really painful, obnoxious live streaming. And I mean, in, in some cases, breaking laws and um, you know just being vile humans. Um, but you know what? Dave is one of the OG streamers who's been doing a fantastic job over the years of showing how amazing Japan is. And uh, yeah, he started on Periscope and now he does a thing on all the platforms. Um, And yeah, we have a fantastic conversation. So you guys sit back and listen to my amazing conversation with Dave in Osaka. All right, folks, it's another podcast, another interview, another fantastic guest. And uh, this this afternoon, this evening, I guess whenever you're listening to this, I'm really happy, happy, not happy, that's a new word, to be chatting with Dave in Osaka. Dave, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Finally get to see you here. Yeah. And now, now for, for those of you out there who are listening who um, may have like one foot into the Japan Twitter sphere or X sphere, I suppose now, uh, if you are, you know, one of those people who are following, sometimes I've heard it termed as gaijin Twitter, uh, you may know David Osaka, uh, someone who is um, well known for his uh, awesome and epic um, live streams. Um, yeah, so uh, Dave, I, I'm going to ask you to maybe introduce yourself to the listeners and just let everyone know a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and where you are based. Well, I'm originally from Canada, uh, from Hamilton, Ontario. That's my uh, hometown. And I came to Japan in 20, uh, 2001, been here for over 20 years, and I'm based in Osaka. I've always been here, the 22 years I've been here. Uh, started off in Higashi, Osaka, and I moved up to the north of the city a few years after that. So I'm a hardcore Osaka, cool. Osaka boy. That's neat. You're from Hamilton. My mother's from Hamilton. Um, oh really? Didn't and I, I never. I, I only got to visit a few times when I was really young because I was brought up in Nova Scotia. But my mom was. Oh, from that's Ham- right. I know that. I'm from Nova Scotia, but my mom, my mom is from Hamilton, and my dad is from Cornwall, Ontario. Okay. And, oh, okay. Uh, 
Yep. So I'm a, you know, I was born and bred in Nova Scotia, but when they, re- when my dad retired from his career with Parks Canada, he went back mm-hmm. home. They bought a house back in Cornwall and they, they okay. went back there. So now when we do, um, my family and I make trips back to Canada. It's always to Ontario to Cornwall. But um, my mom used to live, and I see if I can remember this. I used to visit my grandparents on Mountain Brow Boulevard, I believe it was called. Oh, uh, very close. Yeah, very close to where I was. Um, I'm, yeah, just a few blocks away from the Mountain Brow. That's where I was. I grew up right there. Yeah. Cool, cool. Cool, neat. Uh, so I remember Small also. World. When I was a kid, my grandparents every Christmas would send us a big pile of Hamilton Tie Cats um, uh, paraphernalia, yeah. um, like like jerseys yeah. and scarves and toques and you yeah. name it. We were like head to toe Tie Cats fans. Oh, and, yeah. um, my house was not a sporting house, but okay during, for, during CFL season it, it became one because my mom was a Tie yeah. Cats fan. Um, yeah, so there you go. It was that nineteen eighty nine Great Cup. Them in the Saskatchewan Rough Riders was it eighty nine? A fame game. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, I believe so. I can't remember. They lost. They lost in the very dying, dying seconds. That's right. Yeah, I I think you. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. One of the times I've seen my mom crying, and maybe she was crying. (laughs) No, I think it was. I think it was more anger. Um, But yeah, I I think there was a lot of years where they were really close, but never actually did it. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean, so there you go, guys. This podcast is no longer the Just Asia podcast. It's all the Hamilton (laughs) and the Ticats. No, but that's really cool. So um, it's neat to make these connections. I'm wondering, you know, we all have, um, you know, everyone I talk to on this podcast always has a really fascinating story of how they ended up where they ended up. Um, you know, uh, whether it's in China, South Korea, in Japan, different parts. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your Japan origin story. How did you end up in Japan? Well, I started studying uh, Japanese language at McMaster University. Okay. And uh, I had a professor, my, my Japanese professor actually had a connection to Osaka. I, I'd gone to Japan while I was studying there in my, and during my holidays, you know, I'd matched her, you know, um, she, I had the same teacher for uh, two or three years. So okay. she said, you know what, I think I have a connection there. If you're ever interested after you graduate, um, you know, there's maybe a position I could find you uh, to teach there. And I said, okay. And then when I graduated, yeah, I approached her and she uh, got me a spot. It was, it was actually the same thing as jets, okay. uh, but it was a dire- direct hire. She introduced me. Uh, and I still had the three year, three year limit like jets do, but yeah, I, I did that. I worked at junior high schools and that was in 2001 in October. And I've been here since then. It's 22 wow. years. Wow. 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 So cool. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I was, um, just thinking the other day of, of reflecting upon my career, my time. Um, I've been an international school teacher the entire time. I've been a teacher really. Um, I did, mm-hmm. I did do, well, I did do five years of ESL teaching in, in Korea. I was a Hogwan teacher. Okay. And then I later went back to school. I went to Ottawa U and got my, my Bachelor of Education and did did that kind of thing. Um, but there was a period where um, I had a, a, a bumpy, a bumpy, how shall I say? I don't want to talk too much about this. I guess I don't want to say anything specific um, because things are on CVs and whatnot. But uh, there okay. was, I'd, I'd worked out of school and some stuff fell through essentially. And let's just say that maybe labor laws were broken. So I left. Oh, I know that. I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, there's a few places like that. But, you know, there was a place that basically yeah. I wasn't getting um, the pay I was supposed to get. That was in the contract oh, that boy. I signed for. Um, so I left after three months um, of this uh you know, school. And, um, you know, they promised me all kinds of stuff because I was a certified teacher. But once I got there, they're like, oh, yeah, that stuff we mentioned. <laughs> um, but uh, at that time, 
uh, Osaka, I think, was trying to get off the whole kind of dispatch company thing, the city of Osaka. And they created something called the CNET program, City Native English okay. Teacher. That was just like back oh. in, that was like 2012 or 11, 12, maybe okay. 13. And then I went and I worked there for a year. And that was the only time I've worked in public schools in Japan, but it was a really neat year. And uh, that's the year that I birthed the Just Japan podcast. <laughs> and, okay. the re- and the reason why that came about was because there were there were weeks where they would put me just sitting in the junior high school. And then I'd be like, all right. Um, Doing nothing. I'd like, what do I uh, – so am I going to be okay, – Kevin, you're scheduled to teach like um, ninth grade, you know, this this for the next two weeks. But they're preparing for exams. So you know what? You can just relax. I'm like, what do you mean yeah. relax? Like, I'm like, two weeks? I don't teach? Like, And then I'm I'm like a workaholic. So I'm just like – I, for me, for some people, maybe that's paradise. For me, I was just like, oh, my God. Um, so I uh, I worked on my Japanese skills, and I, I birthed the podcast, my first podcast. <laughs> and uh, it was in an uh, echoey, abandoned room. I think I, I recorded my first and edited my first episodes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I guess, what, podcasts were coming out around 2007 or so? I remember, yeah. was it? Yeah. There, so at, at the time, there wasn't a lot of Japan content with podcasts. You'd right. Get, like right. You'd sometimes meet like, I think I've talked about this before on some podcasts where, um, you know, I might hear, I'd be searching all the time through Apple Podcasts, I guess it was iTunes then, for something. And you might find like a couple of Jets who would create a podcast, but it was all like so Jet specific. I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, and then yeah. after after a few months, they would just like it would fade away. So that's when I, I decided to make that one, um, which is similar to this in style. It just has a different name. And I now I talk to people, yeah. people who are in other countries aside from Japan. Mind you, predominantly most guests are in Japan. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So, you, um, you know, you got to Japan and you were, you know, you, you initially got there working as, um, you know, as a teacher. And I'm, I'm curious to move past that and talk about, um, you know, with your – your streaming, your content creation, because that's a, the reason why I, I, I want to chat to you, because I love the stuff you do when I get a chance to see it. Um, it always seems that when I come across one of your live streams being live, I'm always like I'm in a taxi somewhere or I'm with my kids doing something and I can't. Yeah. But uh, when did you decide um, to to get into live streaming on Twitter? How did how did that come about? I was in 2015 when uh, oh, Periscope wow. Uh, Periscope was released. So that was the beginning of mobile live streaming. Uh, it was 2015 March. I guess it was Meerkat and Periscope, which were the two uh, first apps to um, have a function for mobile live streaming. And I've, I remember in, uh, when it was released, uh, it was a big news because Twitter had purchased Periscope for $100 million uh, or something like that. So yeah. Uh, you know, it was Meerkat had no big social network behind it and Periscope did. So Periscope was getting a bit more attention and eventually it did uh, overtake Meerkat. Yeah. But yeah, I downloaded Periscope and then I was like, how do I, it was just such a new thing. I didn't even know what to do. I saw that it was number one in the app store. No, no one knew, like, right? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have no idea what it, what it was or how to interact with it at all. So I just downloaded it and then I just left it. And then a couple, maybe like a month or a couple months later, I actually opened it, gave it another chance. And I saw people talking and, you know, it was, it was odd to actually interact with somebody live. I'd never done it before anything like that. Uh, I know there was, you know, like things like Ustream and that, but yeah. to actually do it on your phone and, um, 
yeah, it was a new thing to me. And while well, new thing to everybody, cause it was huge. It was, yeah, yeah. it was getting uh, so much attention. And then, uh, I saw, uh, one broadcaster who was very good, who actually became a good friend of mine, uh, from France. He would broadcast from the Alps. Okay. And he, and he, he was a really friendly guy and he had a beautiful Husky and he would take people on walks, show the Alps. And he had this amazing dog. It was such a, it was a perfect scene, a really nice guy, cool dog and a beautiful scenery. And he was very good at interacting with people. And that's where I was like, wow, this is, this is a cool medium where you can, uh, you know, you can really connect with people live. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, it was just, you know, status updates or photos like yeah. that. So, so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try too. And I just started uh, doing it just down in downtown in Osaka and yeah, the same thing happened, you know, I, the more time I spent, the more time the regular people would come back and, uh, you know, you bu start building a community or I, I, some people call it that. I, I like to call it just friends, people coming in. Yeah. And, and then I wanted to keep them entertained and keep yeah. them coming back. So I would, I just expanded from there and, um, went from Osaka to showing events in Nara, Kyoto. Uh, eventually to the rest of Japan and then eventually to the rest of the world too. So that's really neat um, to hear about that kind of that origin with Periscope. I remember still pretty vividly this first time I ever did a, a Periscope live broadcast and I only ever did a few, but I was in Kobe where I lived for the majority of my time in Japan and I was on Port Island and I remember I was like walking around one day and I was like near Kobe Gakuen University and I, I, I opened it up and then I, I remember like starting my first one. I was kind of like walking around these streets like with no one around and stuff and just kind of talking. Yeah. And I think I got like one or two people kind of popped in for a moment. I was like super exciting. But it, uh, for me, it's interesting. Live streaming is something that um, I've toyed with a few times, whether it was with Periscope and then I've, I don't think I've ever used Twitter live stream. Maybe once. I just keep forgetting okay. it's there. Um, and then, and, yeah. then you, and then YouTube. So um, I did some YouTube live streaming a little bit. I tried to do from China, but it was really discouraging. And I was having this conversation actually with, um, oh, the other day I was, I was interviewing Noe Alonzo, who is a, uh, an American who is a Korea-based photographer. And he does a lot of neat stuff in Japan. He comes over to Japan a lot. Um, and I was saying how Whenever I tried to live stream in China, I would often get harassed um, because, you know, oh. the government basically tells people there, like, you know, if you see a foreigner with a camera, they're probably a spy. They're up to no good. Wow. So they're basically people are told to, like, discourage people from filming things and doing live streams. So <clears throat> I would try sometimes and a few times I did it and I got a lot of people, I got a lot of uh, views, like way more views than I ever got from just doing a regular video on, on YouTube. This is on YouTube? Yeah, this is on YouTube. Um, so, okay. I, you know, if I did a YouTube, if I put up a video, I might get like a couple of hundred views over the course of weeks. But if I put up like a live stream, not a lot of people would watch it at the time because it was often the time zones. But like within the week or so after, I usually have like six, seven hundred views. Um, so I'm like, oh, this, wow. this is really neat. Um, but then again, it just wasn't worth it. And I, I'd come home, I usually like, you know, really pissed off. I'd go out in the evening for a walk and I'd come back and I'd say to my wife, like I was trying to film something and some guy came up and tried to grab my phone out of my hand and, or wow. I'd have a gimbal. I had a DJ, a DJ, I have a DJ, a gimbal and he'd try to like, someone try to grab that and yell at me. And I'm like, this isn't worth it. Like, I'm not sure what they're saying, but they're very angry and I'm just clear. They don't want me filming stuff. Um, 
<laughs> so, uh, but is yeah, so maybe people people not wanting to have their faces filmed, or is that another thing it could be? Or? Again, I mean, I think from what I gather and what I've seen, other other people who've tried who've tried to create content in in China, it can be really hard when you're just this clear, visible foreigner. <clears throat> people yeah. just don't trust you. They think you're doing something you shouldn't be doing or showing stuff. They don't want like you're 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 just yeah you know and. So, I, I mean, in, in YouTube is a program that's, you know, it's an app that's banned in China. Anything by Google's banned and stuff. So, right. I'm using a VPN, using this and that. And, eh, it just wasn't worth it. <clears throat> so, I keep thinking maybe that could be something. I, I, I always think this. I want to do some live streaming here, but then I never think about it. Um, I did it in North Korea. <laughs> oh, did you really? I did it in, oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Tell me about that. That's a cool story. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I did. uh I, I can't top that one. <laughs> yeah, I. That's what I thought. It was like, um, I went to North Korea in 2018. Well, I've been there before in 2012. Oh, really? Um, I just. Uh, it was my first time. Uh, I. It was a new thing to me, so I was pretty nervous that time. So yeah. this time around, I was like, okay, I'm a little bit more calmer. I know what to expect, and uh, I thought, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to live stream it because I was, that's what I was kind of expanding out internationally. I was doing stuff in Japan. I was like, okay, I'm going to go overseas and I wanted to go to North Korea. I wanted to push the boundary. So I went there yeah. and I, and I streamed it there. Uh, it wasn't easy, but uh, I did it. And, and I had to coordinate a few things with uh, my, the company I dealt with and, and the costs were insane too. So. Oh, really? The uh, cost of like having Wi-Fi or having internet connectivity. Yeah. Okay, well, I can talk, I can talk about that. So, yeah, to get yeah, a SIM card, just to get a SIM card, costs two hundred and fifty dollars US. The SIM card alone. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the data I almost made a was, spit take there, guys. You can't see this, but I'm drinking some like Pepsi Max <laughs> here, and I almost sprayed it all over my uh, my keyboard when he said that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So just and that's no data. Just getting the the, the actual card. SIM card is two hundred fifty dollars. Then um, each megabyte was one dollar, so I I bought. <laughs> I'm not even. I shouldn't even say how much, but it, I, I bought a lot because I was streaming the video. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, obviously you that, need that a takes. Lot. Uh, yeah, I needed a lot. More than a meg. So, More than a dollar. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent about almost a thousand bucks total just streaming there. Wow. Um, so um, yeah, it was it was one dollar, and then you had to go to the this one place or there's two hotels in pyongyang where you could only load money up and you had to pay in advance okay uh, yeah and i did it there so of course i needed a vpn and uh another thing is you have to shut out i shut all the other functions off so i didn't use data obviously because i didn't want to waste data with since it was so expensive but yeah i did it the signal wasn't great sometimes but but i did i did show like uh they do the dance at the Big Kim Il Sung Square. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, in front of the the library there. There's a famous spot where they do where they do the the parades with all the the, the nuclear missiles or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. That right, that area there, they did a big dance. Um, yeah, I did a, f- a few other things. Some kids playing ping pong. Some live performances at a junior high school and a high school. But but yeah, and I did some into uh, like uh, just uh, uh, ask me anything's from my uh, hotel room too. So oh, wow. It was uh, quite an adventure, and then when I got back, I some some news services mailed me. They're like, "How did you do that?" 
How are you allowed to do that? And I didn't, I, I don't, I didn't answer anybody because I didn't just, I didn't even want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know who it was. I, I just didn't want to talk about it at all. So get a but, knock on yeah, your door was, there and get a knock on your door yeah. there in Osaka. Some guy who's got some strong exactly. Korean features in his face. <laughs> you know, like, wait a second. You're, yeah. you're not, you're not the Uber Eats guy. Um, no, no. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I didn't say anything, so, so. so when you did that, were you using Periscope? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Uh, that okay. was uh, 2018. Periscope was still uh, around. So I don't even think I'd be able to do it with YouTube because it just, uh, I think it needs a little bit more uh, bandwidth data, like the resolute. Yeah. It needs more bandwidth. Whereas Periscope was super low. That was one of the good points about it. It just didn't require much to keep going. Wow. So for those of you guys out there listening, Periscope, that was uh that was how things were done. I I, I recently had um uh, Victor Gonzalez on an episode of the podcast talking about him. He he did all these like epic um Mount Fuji summit to, or sea to summit hikes, and we were talking okay. about him like and I was like I remember vaguely remember you years ago like live streaming it somehow and he's like oh yeah he said I was using Periscope I'd be trying to live stream while like walking through the forest or going up the side of Mount Fuji but often it didn't work out because like the connectivity there was like no connectivity but. I can remember him trying. It was pretty neat. I think there was a signal at the top. They had did, but on the way there, it would definitely be spotty. But I, have you done I that? Think too? I recall it. No, I've never done Mount Fuji. Oh, okay. so, but I remember seeing broadcast from the top. Somebody had did, did it from up there. Ah, but. wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. Now, now you know you you do a lot of live streaming around Japan, and I mean, how does it work with uh, you know? Do you just uh, you know, you just decide to go to different places to show people. Are you um, going through and looking at different events that are happening? Are you doing both? What? How do you make your choices on what you're going to be live streaming? Yeah, um, I think, I guess I think about, uh, I guess it is pretty Japan centric. So I do go, uh, I like to go on location. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I started doing that, um, going to, to different places in Japan uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people who watch are people that maybe never are going to be able to come here for whatever reason, whether it be health or, you know, finances. So I think they appreciate going to different places and seeing things that maybe they're never going to see. Uh, and, you know, there's other things, too, thinking about um, uh, people love changing views, uh, different landscape, showing the same thing all the time. Uh, you know, that gets kind of boring for people. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and then the, when you're going to someplace new, there's always the unknown element. You never know what's going to happen or what what you're going to see. So I always liked going uh, on location uh, somewhere different every time. Uh, that was definitely some things that you know, main things that I think about. Cool, cool, neat. Yeah, I know. I <clears throat> it's it's interesting too because I mean, like uh, you know, I think for those who love Japan, there's always uh, there's always just interesting things to see. Like that's even like for me. You know, um, when I'm, if I'm staying in Osaka on an Airbnb, just every night for me is a little adventure to just go out and walk around the back streets. That's fascinating. Yeah. And for those out there who are interested in Japan, often in many ways, those, they find that equally as fascinating. Like I like taking pictures of old buildings at night and back alleys. That's, I just, cause I love, I, yeah, I, saw, yeah. I love, I love, I love walking through those alleys. I love that vibe, that kind of neat energy yeah. and, um, especially when there's life there, you know, there's people living in those, like those, those old communities and people who've been there for generations. And, you know, you see what, what once was a shop. And, um, and the thing is when I share those photos, you know, they always get so much traction. People love to see those photos. 
Um, I still share yeah. them because I've got like a whole freaking camera camera roll of them. Because when I like when I was there in the I summer, I, I took just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photos, right? Um, so every mm-hmm. once in a while, I pop those up, and you know, it's always it's always fascinating to see. You know, if I put up you know photos of Georgetown, I get a few, I get a few likes. I put up a picture of Japan, I get a heck of a lot more likes. Um, so you know, yeah. it's, it's it's just a thing that people are interested. in. I, I know myself right now. I really enjoy watching um, uh, John Dobb from only only in japan and he's a real frequent live streamer youtube live streamer he's practically every day and uh he's also got a really he it's it's nice to listen to he's lived there for a long time so he knows what he's talking about right you know and he he talks about all these and he just he just loves to go to all the little different neat neighborhoods and stuff so it's uh yeah i i understand the appeal um especially because i'm not someone who's living in japan right now but i Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I often wish I was. Um, so I'm okay. So I want to, I want to jump, uh, kind of jump around here and talk about kind of okay. just the landscape and what you've seen over the last few years. You know, you're based in, you're based in Osaka. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious about like pre pandemic, pandemic, post pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, what, how did kind of the live streams, did they evolve during that time? You know, I, I know that just anecdotally from my own experience leading up until the time I left Japan. I left in 2016, 17, 17. Okay. Oh, wait, is that when? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> but what I do remember anecdotally is I remember seeing more in the time I lived there, more and more and more tourists arriving. And it was just there. You yeah. see it. <clears throat> um, and then, of course, pandemic time happened. Orders closed. You were still there, of course. Um, and mm-hmm. then now the things are reopened. So how, uh, how was that experience for you over those years? Um, yeah, big questions, but I'm curious. You know, pre pandemic, that was, uh, I think it was a big shock for everybody. The number of tourists coming in, it was a new thing, right? No, mm-hmm. Japan had never seen that, uh, big of an influx of, of tourists before. Yeah. And it was, I think it was quite quick. So it was a shock for people, uh, especially when the Chinese, they, uh, they didn't, uh, they allowed them to have the visa on arrival, right? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. that created a huge influx of the, of the Chinese and it was really overwhelming for everyone. Yeah. Um, so I think the pandemic just hit the brakes on that. Yeah. And now people had a few years just to kind of get some air mm-hmm. uh, and to, to think about how to deal with it. And now that they slowly, you know, raised, uh, raised the restrictions, it's not as bad this time around. Uh, oh, I know really? that numbers are almost, numbers are almost back to pre pandemic level. I think they are uh, mm-hmm. for September. It was, or def- probably definitely by now. Yeah. Definitely will be uh, for November. Yeah. Now it's it's not a new thing, so I think people are used to it. Uh, okay. It's okay. not. I think that stress is not there anymore. Um, I think the infrastructure's had time to up to uh, to upgrade and to deal with those people. Uh, and I also think too that the new people coming in, uh, I've been to Japan several times already, and I don't think they're going on the same. Uh, I guess they call it the golden route. Tokyo, Osaka, and uh, Kyoto. I think they are kind of going other places in the rural areas, and also maybe they're going for more of the experiential uh, things, not 
just sightseeing and gathering in those central places. Okay. Uh, I don't feel that same kind of congestion, even though they say the numbers are exactly the same. But I, I definitely don't feel that stress like it was uh, before. Okay. Uh, in terms of the, the crowds. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, just before like I hit record, we were talking, just we were chit-chatting, um, you know, you know, getting to know each other a little bit. And we both had mentioned, um, you know, we've both been on um, J.J. Walsh's podcast at one point or another, the uh, Seeking Sustainable Japan. And, um, you know, the the concept of over-tourism is a, it's a topic that often comes up on on her podcast. And she talks with a lot of experts in the field and people who are dealing with it. And that kind of high impact tourism that often is brought with Chinese, the Chinese travelers, because often, you know, there's a lot of bus, like a lot of tours and buses. And that often comes with, um, and it's interesting because I just recently, uh, you know, there was a connection that, that made me think of that. I went out for dinner a couple of nights ago here in Malaysia with my family. And where we're at in the island of Penang, it's a very touristy place. And, um, right. They've mentioned that there's been a big drop. In the last few months in tourists, almost like an 80% drop, this, uh, owner oh, really? of this, this owner of this restaurant was saying to us since uh, the beginning of the summer. And they're not, she's like, I know, I don't know why this has happened, but she said, we used to have so many Australians and a lot of British, but they're not coming now. But what they are seeing is an increase in Chinese tourists. And what they say is that as of, uh, no, as of November, um, Chinese can come here visa free. And uh, the worry for them is that, where they see, and I've, I've heard this on, on, on Joy's podcast too, is that, um, a lot of the tourists come and it's a Chinese tour company. So they come to the area, all the money's going to the Chinese tour company and they only eat at restaurants where they have vouchers for restaurants that are owned often by Chinese companies. And uh, then they, I see. they will stop at like gift shops and this and that that are owned by Chinese owners or Chinese companies. Right. They often pay the whole time using Alipay or WePay. So basically, it's almost like the money never actually enters the actual local economy. Um, right. But there's all that high impact and the damage that comes, the negative impact of having too many people, but they don't have that kind of financial windfall from it. And that's the thing that she said. She's like, there's going to be tourists everywhere, but they won't be coming here to eat, she said. Um, no. So that makes sense, yeah. And um, <clears throat> I just can remember hearing that. So it, I thought that was kind of interesting how, again, those the, the big numbers with that high impact, but maybe there's not that economic um yeah windfall um but yeah so like you know as i guess like as you were um during the, the during the pandemic i guess you must have been finding it a lot easier to to do those live streams like in a much more kind of open peaceful way you could I, i'm sure you, you could uh, uh, or, or share maybe a share a different side of places like kyoto okay yeah so the best the most amazing place is going to tohoku uh in okay. the north of japan so i mean even in a pre-pandemic or now uh, i think it's quite quiet but during the i went in the winter time and it was just uh, incredible i mean it was a dreamland uh it was you know your, your own How little private <laughs> just because it was just no well, one there yeah there was no no one there absolutely no one there no not one tourist at all uh the the rooms were i could get rooms that normally would be a hundred dollars down to, you know, $20, $25. I got some, uh, yeah. So there was no problem with booking hotels, any experience that might've been, you know, flooded with tourists in any other situation. I, I, anything was my choice. I could do whatever I want. Even going out to, I mean, not, it's not Tohoku, but going to, uh, Shirakawa go out there. I mean, you go out there now or pre pandemic, it was just a, you know, 
absolutely packed. Uh, getting, getting there is, it wasn't a, uh, I mean, it is a beautiful place, but just the, it kind of was uh, detracted a bit when there's so many people. Oh yeah, there, that was actually was absolutely. Oh, continue. There was nobody there. There was nobody there. <laughs> well, that that there was, was no actually, um, you know, I don't, again, 2020. We, um, <clears throat> I was still working in China when COVID kicked off, and we came to Japan to get away from whatever this mysterious illness was that we didn't know right. about at that point. And then um, China closed the borders, but my job was still there. Our stuff was there. Our our guinea pigs were there. Our lovely little fur balls. Oh, I, I ended up I working. That, yeah. I ended up working remotely from Osaka for like nine months, and that was the time when Japan closed the borders. And um, we went to Shirakawago. That was my son's like birthday wish. He wanted to go there for his birthday in July. Oh wow! He always wanted to go, and we got there, and we stayed at a place, a lodge up in the mountains called the. It was owned by Toyota. And it's a place where okay. um, this really fancy lodge and that we were basically the only people there. And it would have been normally way out of our price range. Oh, yeah. But it was just incredible. And we ate – they had this incredible dining room with these amazing multi-course meals. And um, and then we I've got pictures of us around Shirakawago and the streets are empty. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm so fortunate and we're so we, – we felt blessed that we had that experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's situations like that – I had never been to any of, I went to all the big tourist spots, but I don't know what it was like normally. So I have this warped sense of what it's like to be there because mm-hmm. I, you know, I was never there when there were, when the crowds were there. I went, I did that famous picture the, of the, the, the pagoda with Mount Fuji beside it. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. 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 There. yeah uh, I know normally, trying to get that photo is impossible trying to go up those stairs is just flooded with people but i went there and there was there was nobody there it was just me uh and you know I, again it's just a, a warped sense of uh what it's normally like i have no idea so Indeed. but yeah places like that we had i could just go anywhere and nobody was there it was amazing yeah that was a that was definitely a, a positive thing. Now, uh, of course, if you were a tourist operator at the time, that wasn't a very good situation. No, I, no, I talked to no, um, no. earlier on in this podcast series in episode fourteen. I chatted with um, uh, Sean Morrissey, who is with the okay. Soul, the dark the dark side of Seoul walking tours in Seoul, Korea. Oh, okay, and so um, they do all these like really amazing historical kind of ghost haunted tours, and they do food tours, and so he's a he's a um, like a, a travel interpreter guide. So that's what he does. That's how he, you know, puts the food on the table. And we, that's one of the things we talked about. It was all of a sudden you went from making a, a good living to no living. Um, yeah, right. And then he, you know, it was like, he hadn't been a, he hadn't been a teacher in years and years and years, but he had to go back to doing something like that in order to get some kind of income. Um, so he talked yeah. about that was a real dark time, but now it's really bounced back, which is, you know, great. Um, so, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what are you, you've been to so many places. I mean, I'm one of these people who've maybe, in, and maybe in some regards is from what I've learned, it's almost kind of like with many Japanese people, I lived there for a long time, but I didn't ever really get to travel much cause I was always working. Um, and okay. you know, I was just working, working, working that kind of Japanese work life. So, uh, you know, you're someone who's been to a lot of places and I know you've seen so much more of Japan than me. So I'm curious, what are, what are some of your top places, your favorite places in Kansai? And I mean, the favorite places to live stream, to film, and just to, to kind of hang out. Uh, I'd say one of the, my favorite is Wakayama down on the coast, all along never the coast. Never been there. Really? <laughs> I've never uh, been there. Nakshi, 
you know, Nachi Falls. Have I've you heard, heard of it. Do you know where that is? Yeah, Kikatsura. Uh, if you go to Kikatsura Station, there's the Nachi Falls, the famous pagoda with the waterfall behind it. That's a famous okay. photo. Uh, just beautiful ryokan out there, really mm-hmm. quiet. Uh, it's a big, it's a, all, all those little towns along that coast are a little fishing, fishing town. So you stop anywhere along there. It's just so peaceful. That's a particularly beautiful one. Uh, Taiji, which is famous for the, the dolphin. Oh, the cove, uh, that movie. Dolphin hunting. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, although it has a dark history, it is a beautiful spot. I mean, it's just so peaceful. Uh, great food, great seafood. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Beautiful Ryokan, just so quiet and relaxing. That's definitely one of my favorites. Anything along that Wakayama coast is amazing. Awesome. Uh, you take the Kuroshio from uh, Shinosaka and stop anywhere along there, and it's just uh, amazing. Amazing. Uh, another one is uh, Kyotango. Have you been up there? The north no. of Kyoto no. uh, on the shore. Uh, there's there's a lot of little beaches up there. There's Maizuru. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And anything, yeah, anything north of Kyoto, or I guess it would be north north uh, west of Kyoto. All that rural area there. There's Maizuru. Uh, yeah, just really, really beautiful. There's uh, another place that's kind of like a Shirakawa go there. Uh, oh, God, I forgot the name of that. But it's a, it's a, it's the exact same thing. It has the uh, the, the thatch roofs. Okay, yeah. Uh, and it's Miyama. Uh, Miyama, it's called. Yeah. yeah. And that's also becoming very popular with, uh, with tourists. Mm. Uh, another one is Nagahama out in... Uh, Otsu, like uh, near Otsu on uh, Shiga. Mm-hmm. Shiga is kind of another place that not a lot of tourists go to, but there's a lot of really beautiful uh, na- yeah, natural places there. Uh, yeah, Nagahama is a beautiful town. Yeah, you got to check that one out. Make the list of all the places. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm writing these down. <laughs> and another one, which I, I, uh, is Nabari. Do you know Nabari in uh, in near Nara? Nabari, that whole area in the in the very deep parts of Nara, mm. uh, there's a place called Sony, Sony, okay. the Sony plateau, uh, anything around there. It almost looked, a lot of people describe it looks like the Swiss Alps. It's just oh, wow. gorgeous. It's, it's amazing. Um, it's hard to get to. There's no, there's, I don't think there's any public public transportation that gets you there. I took, I had to get a taxi from uh, Navari station. It took me, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half. Uh, I, I don't. I don't have a car, so but it is just absolutely stunning, mm. uh, stunning place, uh, and yeah, nobody, amazing place too. Cool. Wow. Um, and then you you mentioned uh, aside from Kansai, outside you've already mentioned Tohoku was pretty remarkable for you. Are there any other places that have been your favorites that you've been to that you've live streamed from and just experienced? Uh, Aso down Mount Aso ah, down okay. in uh, Kyushu. Okay, yeah. That's uh, one of the few places in the world you can actually get up to the edge of a volcanic crater, look down into it. I, I, I giggle. I'm giggling in my mind when I hear that because there was uh, the the famed Japan content creator Chris Broad abroad in Japan. He, um, yeah. my kid, my kids love watching his videos, and he's uh, okay. He's part one of his partners in crime. Is a guy named Natsuki Aso. Um, and they went. They they visited that area for a, a video series, and they they did a. A, a song called too much volcano and they they sang they made a rap song <laughs> a silly rap song and did it while they were kind of by the volcano and i just remember my, uh, yeah. my kids loved it um yeah yeah so cool. okay i did i don't do rap in my live stream maybe i should start you should it, it started yeah i mean they didn't clearly <laughs> either um 
<laughs> but they went ahead and did it. Um, and it was entertaining. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, as far as like Kyushu goes, I mean, I've only actually been to Fukuoka. Um, okay. It's the only place that kind of, yeah. So again, like I said, I'm one of these people who lived in Japan for a relatively long time and I, I really didn't get to see much of it. Um, so I, I tend to now when I go back to visit with my family as a tourist, yeah. I'm seeing more. You know, I never, uh, to be honest, I never, I mean, I moved here in 2001. I never actually saw anything until I started live streaming. That oh, okay. inspired me ah. to go out and actually show around. Because uh, mm-hmm. before that, I, I really hadn't seen that much. So okay. that's another uh, yeah, content creation. Um, and that's the thing for me, like, um, you know, I've got another podcast. I've been, I've just kind of re kicked it back off again called the supernatural Japan podcast. Cause right. I love, I saw that. Yeah. I love the spooky. I love the spooky, but even like people mm-hmm. have been messaging me like, Kevin, you know, in Penang, there's a lot of spooky stuff and, and, you know, places with kind of, you know, haunted histories. I'm like, Oh, I know I'm researching. I actually, I'm, I'm on holiday as of now for the next nine days for a, a, just a midterm holiday for school. And oh, cool. there's a couple of, uh, a couple of places I'm planning on hitting that are, um, you know, have a rumored, rumored to be haunted. Um, Oh, wow. I take lots of things with grains of salt, but they're fun grains of salt. Um, yeah. I, I just enjoy the topic. So what I'm looking forward to is even when I, the next few times I get back to Japan to trying to explore some things that I've been reading about, researching about, podcasting about, and to, to try to get there in person. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because of, because of this content creation, that's making me want to go to places. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely uh, inspired or you know, informed me to, to go search for yeah. these places. I never would have gone otherwise. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's really cool. That's, there's certain hobbies that we can have that can do that. Like I think of, for example, like geocaching, that's one of those hobbies where often they talk about like, you know, people, it's, it's a hobby that gets people, people traveling. And when you listen to, you know, I've dabbled in it, but I listen to some geocaching podcasts and the people who are really mm-hmm. into it, man, they travel all around the world to do it. Oh, really? And that pod, yeah, like, I've that, that heard hobby, about it. Well, you've, you've, you haven't, heard, uh, you haven't I've seen you mention it uh, before. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a location game where you're, you know, you're off kind of trying to people hide kind of containers with logbooks and you're using the app to go and try to find them and things like that. So it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's pretty cool that, that, you know, again, there's hobbies that can take us places. Um, so, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, and, and, and live streaming has done that for you, which is really neat. And, and then you get to take us along, which is really cool. Yeah. So when I'm, when I'm here, you know, pining away for Japan and I can see you popped up on my, my Twitter feed with a live stream, I can be like, Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I get exactly, a bit of dose yeah. of that, you know, um, which <laughs> yeah, is cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So folks out there listening, you got to go to, you got to go to Twitter or X and, and follow Dave in Osaka, which is always so easy to remember. You just type that into the search. Even you don't have just Dave in Osaka. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't want to keep it too much longer, Dave, but I'm, you know, can tell us a little bit more or tell the folks where, where they can find you and if there's any other places they can find you online. Yeah. On, uh, X or Twitter. Yeah. David Osaka. I think I also, uh, most of the people watch on YouTube now. You, I do YouTube lives from there. Oh, oh awesome. Yeah. And I'm also streaming, uh, to, uh, Twitch, David Osaka. Oh, okay. And face, Facebook, David Osaka too. Okay, cool. So you're doing all that and on YouTube. Yeah, I do a multi I multi-stream, multi-streaming to all the platforms at the uh, same time. How do how do you do that? I'm, I'm not asking. Uh, you, you, I use an encoder called Prism Live Studio. 
Oh, okay. and you connect your account to all your accounts, and you can stream to all the networks. That must be what what Joy is using too, because she's on when she's on, she's on everything. Like I see, like when yeah. she does her podcast, she's on LinkedIn, she's on YouTube. Oh yeah, she's on yeah. yeah so I, it must you must be able to connect on LinkedIn as well. There's a there's a there's Streamlabs a does that too. Oh, okay, Streamlabs okay. does it too, and there's another Restream also. I think you can uh, do that. So. There's oh, a few cool. ways to do it. Cool, cool. Things I need to look into. Um, not that I need more things to divide my time. Because yeah. I, <laughs> you seem pod- like a busy guy to, with all, all your podcasting. Uh, side even, projects. Yeah, I'm, up, I'm even podcasting with my students now. I just launched a podcast. Oh, that's great. That'll be only once in a while. It was... Uh, you know, I That's teach, great, grade, I teach grade two, but we did one about, we did a, they did a podcast about, um, endangered monkeys that live here on the Island. The Langer monkeys, oh, the ones yeah. with the, the really cute fuzzy ones with the white eyes. I ran into them. I, I was actually, when I was sitting at Starbucks on a balcony, yeah. I had some, uh, some visit me there. Aren't they, they're so awesome, right? They visit our campus they are, all the yeah. and they're, they live all around my house. I love them and they're endangered. Yeah. So the, the kids even, um, got to interview some experts. Um, uh, so it was really cool. So more, more content. Um, uh, this one doesn't have cool. my name on it though. It's just the school's name. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool folks. So you go, all you listening, go out there and follow Dave and Osaka on all those places. And I'll put the links below, below in the show notes. So when you're scrolling under, under the podcast, you'll see all the links are there and I'll put those there for your YouTube and your, your Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with us tonight. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I want to thank Dave in Osaka for coming on the podcast. You, of course, can find him on all the social medias as Dave in Osaka. As he mentioned, when he does live stream, he does live stream on all the platforms. One thing I learned is that when um, I often come across his streams on Twitter, but unless you subscribe or actually pay money, you can't interact, you can't leave comments. And he even said this, I watched him after this interview, I watched him uh, doing his Halloween um, live uh, stream. He did a Halloween live stream from Osaka, from the Dotenbury area, which was really entertaining, a lot of fun. Go check that out. He was dressed as Elvis. It was it was very entertaining to watch. Go check out his YouTube channel for that. And when he does live stream, uh, he actually I was watching the live stream that he was doing uh, on Halloween night from Osaka, and he was like, "Hey guys, if you're watching me on Twitter, you can't interact with me, but if you go over to YouTube right now, you can interact." So that's what I did. I swapped over to YouTube, and then I was able to leave some comments and stuff uh, on his live chat. Well, um, again, go follow Dave and Osaka on Twitter, uh, on ins- uh, no Instagram. Maybe he's on Instagram. Ah, I think we talked about that. I'm recording this bit so much later, I can't remember. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, go follow him on YouTube. Um, this interview was done before Halloween, some time ago. And uh, again, go over there and, and give him some love and give him a follow. Um, so... What's been happening with me, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I've been focusing a lot on the Supernatural Japan podcast, and here's a little trailer for that right now. Do you like the paranormal, interested in hauntings, historic castles, ancient battles, and spooky history from Japan? Well, then the Supernatural Japan podcast is for you. My name is Kevin O'Shea, and each week I host the Supernatural Japan podcast. I bring you tales of ghostly shrines and castles, haunted department stores, urban legends, UFO sightings, and lots of spooky from the mysterious land of the rising sun. 
Go listen to the Supernatural Japan podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you find podcasts. So yeah, go on over there and give that podcast a follow as well, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, um, aside from that, I have been, uh, you know, not super busy with work, not like I was back in the China days, uh, but I am podcasting um, with my school as well. So one thing that I do is I do run a lot of, I create a lot of social media content for my school, and I have started a podcast that is aimed at students, children, and their families, all about taking action and the amazing things that the kids are doing at school. So it's kind of a bit of a showcase for that, and I'll be doing different episodes across the grade levels, and um, that's been a lot of fun. So I've been doing that, and you know, just enjoying life here in a new country, a new culture. The food here in Malaysia is absolutely incredible, and where I live on Penang Island, you know, it's a real mix of of, uh, Chinese, of Malay, and Hindu foods and culture. So it's really neat. I've been just enjoying the heck out of that. I posted, I've been posting a few videos on YouTube from time to time, tons of content over on my Twitter at mad for maple. So if you're, if you're on Twitter or X, follow me at mad for maple. I've been putting some stuff up on Instagram at Jalen Kev as well. Um, yeah, so those are the places where I'm most active. Of course, we've got the Facebook page too. Uh, there'll be links to all of those in the comments below, not the comments below, sorry, in the show notes. Yeah, so folks, um, I apologize for how long it's been, um, you know, in between podcasts. It's It's been a while. Uh, but go over and listen to the Supernatural Japan podcast, too. There's a lot of stuff over there for everyone. Um, it's not just the spooky thing. Sometimes I, I have interviews with people about just very interesting temples and parts of history and stuff like that. You know, Supernatural doesn't always have to be the spooky spooky. Um, I enjoy that, but uh, there's a lot of neat history in there, too, in that podcast. So go check it out. All right, folks, well, that's it for another episode of the Just Asia podcast. Again, my name is Kevin. I am a Canadian currently based in Malaysia and uh, enjoying life and uh, thankful that all of you are listening to the podcast. Remember, of course, you guys can help the podcast grow by leaving a review and a rating wherever you listen to us. And please share the links I share. Help us grow. Share share this podcast with friends, viewers who are like-minded, who are interested in travel, life in Asia. Um, share these links on your Facebook pages that you're involved in, travel-related things. Help the podcast get bigger. That definitely motivates me to make more episodes when I see that more and more people are listening. And uh, yeah, that's it. So guys, wherever you are in the world, I hope you're happy. I hope you're healthy. And I'll be talking to you really soon. Bye.